Hello, this is the World Economic News by Coldwater Economics for Tuesday the 21st of July. Today I want to concentrate mainly on the agreement reached on the fifth day of negotiations by the EU's heads of government for a fund either to quote rescue unquote or quote kickstart unquote Europe's coronavirus hit economies. It is being hailed as a historic agreement because for the first time it has the appearance of establishing a true pan-EU fiscal policy capable of affecting the sort of transfer payments so obviously needed in a non-optimal single currency space. But is this really the case? I think the answer is we don't yet know, partly because the details aren't all necessarily out in the open yet, partly because crucial issues have been left hanging, and partly because other parts of the deal overtly leave what will actually happen hostage to further agreements or disagreements among European heads of government rather than the European Commission. This is what we think we know. The agreement will allow the European Commission to borrow 750 billion euros on financial markets. That's a big number. The plan is that 390 billion of that will be distributed in grants and 360 billion in loans. And of the 390 billion in grants, 312.5 billion will be made in direct response to coronavirus generated needs and 77.5 billion uh, to less related areas and issues. Italy, arguably the most weakened fiscally and medically, can expect about 82 billion in grants and 127 billion in loans. Now come the caveats and the great unknowns which will affect how this actually works. First, how will the money actually be spent? The disbursement of these grants and loans will continue to be at the discretion not of the European Commission, but in the end will depend on the agreement of member states. Each member state that's country, each member state has the right to quote exhaustively discuss the matter with the European Council. The European Council is emphatically not the same as the European Commission, as it is comprised of national heads of government and so has to be responsive to national democratic pressures, whilst the European Commission is profoundly insulated from those democratic pressures and claims to act in the interests of the EU as a whole. This clause then strips the European Commission of the undisputed right to disperse the funds and potentially gives each national democracy a way of controlling the spending, even halting the spending, in a way not previously anticipated. Potentially this is both perennially divisive and possibly even toxic. So much for the spending. What about repayment? How is the EU to repay the 750 billion it wants to raise from financial markets? Well, to repay investors, EU member states have agreed to create new common taxes, including a plastics levy that will be introduced in 2021. The Commission, which is the body that drafts EU law, has been asked to propose a levy on polluting imports from non-EU countries, as well as a digital tax. But which of these new taxes will actually be agreed and on what sort of a scale? 
Since that hasn't been agreed at the summit, there is no certainty about how the EU will actually repay these debts. And that opens up a third issue, potentially the most difficult of all. Will the bonds the EU raises count as sovereign debt, given that there's no clear mechanism for raising taxes to repay or service them, and it's not even clear exactly how the money is to be spent in the first place? And if they are classified as sovereign, where does that leave the credit standing of Eurozone countries such as Italy, which have lost the ability to determine both their own fiscal policies and their own monetary policies? In what sense, then, are Italy bo Italy's bonds really any longer sovereign debt? In the end, just how material is this bailout? The total of loans and grants comes to 750 billion for the entire EU over an undisclosed period in total. Just by way of comparison, in the second quarter, the UK's public sector borrowing came to 125.7 billion sterling, up from 22 billion in the same period last year, and equivalent to approximately about 140 billion euros. That's how much it's cost the UK over three months. In the US, federal deficit came to $2 trillion in the three months to June, a rise of, well, almost $2 trillion over the same period last year. My guess is that 750 billion euros isn't necessarily going to solve the fiscal problems faced by the Eurozone's worst-hit coronavirus economies. Finally, we also don't know the extent to which the, the frugal four who entered these negotiations wholly opposed to mutualized debt have been bought off. The deal was, after all, bundled together with a new 1.074 trillion EU budget for 2021 to 2027, which gives plenty of room for apparent payments into the coronavirus fund to be offset by reduced payments into that budget. So, for example, in the new budget, the Netherlands, which was a major objector, comes out of these negotiations with a deal to keep a bigger proportion of the customs revenue that comes through Rotterdam, meaning that's a reduced amount that will flow into the EU's coffers from the Netherlands. To what extent the Dutch taxpayer comes out of this a winner or a loser is utterly opaque. And that's probably not by accident, Doubtless everyone will be coming out of this negotiation claiming victory as usual. Finally and separately, uh, a word on the details uh, of the UK's June fiscal numbers. A 34.8 billion sterling public sector net borrowing in June was pretty much in line with what was expected, but the makeup of that deficit held some interesting details. In particular, current receipts were down 16.5% year-on-year, but current spending was up only 24.9% in June versus nearly 50% in May. The big loss in revenues was on VAT, which was down 30.4% month-on-month and 45.1% year-on-year in June. That revenue is not coming back in a hurry because the UK has since cut VAT rates to help restaurateurs and hoteliers at an estimated cost of £4 billion for the year. But other metrics suggest a stabilisation in June, or possibly something slightly better as the lockdown eased. Income taxes, for example, rose 2.2% month-on-month 
and national insurance contributions, clearly linked to uh, employment, rose 0.8%, both of which suggest at least a stabilization in labor markets during June, possibly something better. More, the amount spent on social benefits, though it was up 12.3% year on year, also fell 1.4% month on month, also suggesting stabilization or something maybe slightly better. Right, that's it for the day. If you have been, I hope you've got something out of it. And if you'd like to uh, help the bulletin by recommending it to your friends, that would be great. Um, any further, if you need any further information about cold water economics, please don't hesitate to contact me, Michael Taylor, at mjtcoldwater at fastmail.com. <laughs>